toleration be the love before pride and exaltation be the love be the love you are listening to be the love to awaken our souls we are souls on the journey and our mission is to awaken all humans to a higher state of consciousness and live vibrantly as spiritual beings we are here to open up the conversation to heal, awaken, and connect ourselves and the planet to a higher vibration of love frequency. I am Stacy Musial. And I am Brenda Carey. And we are your co-hosts at Be The Love Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and ascending with us. It starts with you. Everything you need is within you. This is your time. This is Adrienne Elise of the Supernova Soul Tribe. This is Nicholas David Mann. Namaste. My name is Nistella Joy Davy. This is Ron Interpreter, and you're listening to Be the Love Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Be the Love to Awaken Our Souls. Thank you again so much for tuning in this week. I am Stacy Musial. And I am Brenda Carey with our special guest, Sandra Musial. We are your co-hosts and souls on the journey. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters for allowing this weekly conscious conversation. And we are so grateful for all the support we have received with monthly donations on Patreon, the five-star written reviews on iTunes, and the connection within our Awakening Souls Facebook community. We are on a mission to raise the consciousness of humans and the planet, and we need your help. Please spread the word to your family and friends and join us every week. And if you like what you hear, support us in a way that raises your vibration to love. And if it feels safe for you, I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a moment and get centered with us. I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a beautiful cleansing breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, releasing anything that is keeping you from being present. And take another deep breath in through your nose, breathing in calm, peaceful, loving energy, and breathing out anything you are ready to release in this now moment. And take one more breath in through your nose, breathing in light and love for yourself, and imagine breathing that light and love and send it back to all of humanity, remembering that you always, always have your breath to come back to. Our guest today is Sandra Musial. Sandra is a physician specializing in food as medicine who believes that the foundation of a healthy life starts with whole plant-based food. She has a degree in nutritional sciences and is an MD from the University of Massachusetts Medical School. She is a certified culinary and health coach in plant-based nutrition from eCornell, and she is board certified in obesity medicine and pediatrics and started a pediatric obesity clinic with the first vegetable garden at Hasbro Children's Hospital. Though she has witnessed the healing power of conventional medicine, she has also seen its limitations, especially with regards to disease prevention through healthy nutrition. Sandra started Plant Docs as an avenue for people to learn about the power of plant-based nutrition to preserve health and even reverse many chronic diseases. 
She enjoys gardening, yoga, weaving, and sweater alchemy. So interesting. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Sandy. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. So tell us about your journey and just what has led you down this spiritual and health path. Well, I um, started kind of, you know, always wanting to be in the healthcare field, but always had a fascination with food and how it affected health. And I think one of the earliest memories I have with regard to that is when my uncle Mike died and um, he was very young and I was probably in middle school. He died of a heart attack. And so my father, you know, was like, oh my gosh, I don't want that to happen to me. What can I do? Is there anything I can do preventatively? And so there started to be this kind of more awareness, enlightenment in the home about prevention. And the concept just really rang true with me. My dad started getting this magazine called Prevention, where there were articles on, oh, maybe you should stop red meat if you don't want to have a heart attack when you're 50. And maybe you should stop smoking and exercise more. And so he started talking about these things in our home. And it really piqued my interest that the food you eat can affect your health. And that's what led me to study nutrition in college. And that subsequently led to um, wanting to be a doctor and wanting to have more of an impact on people and help them to live healthier lives. I really wanted to focus more on prevention than on treatment. And it was a little challenging because there, there weren't a lot of avenues 25 years ago to go down a preventative pathway, except by you know staying in a primary care field, which I did. I fell in love with children and ended up becoming a pediatrician. But um, it's interesting that I've circled back to taking care of adults because I just got drawn to this um, concept that I have all I'm surrounded by I think it had to do more with like where I was at in my life at the time that I was a pediatrician I had little children and I was just like really immersed in that whole phase of my life being a mommy and and wanted to know everything about children but then as my children grew and I was surrounded by other middle-aged adults that were suffering from things that were preventable I I felt like I wanted to have you know do something about this and have more of an impact Hmm. That's really beautiful. And, and for those of you who may not have picked up on it, Sandy and I do share the same last name and she is my aunt. <laughs> and I, I just wanted to say that because, you know, you brought up, um, you know, your father, my grandfather, um, and who did have this vision, right? This, you know, the start of like a really forward thinking about what it was like, you know, to begin to prevent disease in this maybe culture of, you know, sick care health that we've been in and that we're used to, you know, there's, you know, preventing or, um, you know, taking care of the symptoms rather than the prevention of it. So I'd love to, you know, hear a little bit too more about what your vision is around um, whole-based plant foods and veganism and how that came into your awareness? Yeah, well, um, it's interesting how it actually happened because I was a practicing pediatrician in a primary care practice and I loved it. I loved talking to the mothers and taking care of babies and adolescents and everyone in between. But there was one mom who was 
um, very astute, who was a pediatric intensive care unit nurse who I had met in training. And um, she had come to my practice with her children um, when she moved. And she asked me one time if I had read the China study. And this was a book written by T. Colin Campbell, who did this very long um, population study in China looking at the differences in cancer and heart disease in the rural areas of China versus the cities. And there were these huge discrepancies. So um, he was from Cornell and the um, leaders, the health minister of China had hired him to kind of do and look at this difference and try to figure out what, what it was all about. And he wrote a book about it. And, you know, one of the big take home messages is that the people in rural China were eating very simply whole foods in their wholest form from the earth and not a lot of processed foods or um, and no animal foods, no dairy. And they had these extremely low rates of heart disease and um, of can and cancer rates. And so she asked me about this. I thought it was a study when she said the China study. I thought it was just like a paper and it had come up like a couple other places. And it, it turns out there was a doctor locally who had read the China study and was um, really um, incorporating it into her practice and telling all her patients to read the China study and to this is a great way to live. So that's what started the whole thing. I read the China study on the recommendation of this patient friend of mine, and it really kind of rocked my world because I thought I was getting the best education as an MD going to medical school and the amount of nutrition that we got, you know, I was already had my undergraduate degree in nutrition. So I guess I probably didn't pay a, a lot of attention to it because I already knew I had this excellent background in nutrition, but we barely learned anything in medical school on nutrition. And the information that we did learn um, was a little outdated and it wasn't kind of keeping up with the latest research like these um, findings that T. Colin Campbell found in China. So that's what started kind of my own personal deep dive where I decided I need to learn more because I'm telling all these mothers and children what to eat and I'm basing it on recommendations that I feel like are outdated and not maybe the best advice especially with regard to milk, because it is such a huge thing in pediatrics to tell children to drink milk and for strong bones. And it's this message that has been just ingrained in our society that we need to be drinking cow's milk, which really makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. So, can you, can you tell yeah. our listeners more? about that since you just since you brought it up like yeah 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 the, the um, I mean I've read the China study and some um other specific information on dairy products and specifically dairy products from conventional con conventionally raised cows I should say so can you elaborate on that a little bit sure. more just to kind of clue yeah. clue in the listeners yeah so I mean one thing is that just to kind of think about things logically, right? Human milk is created like magically and beautifully for for human babies and and every baby should should have that right. And you know, cow milk is made specifically for baby cows. And every mammal, that's what one of the defining features biologically of what a mammal is is that there's a mother's milk for the baby. So it just, you know, there is no other creature on earth that drinks the milk from a, another mammal. 
So it just doesn't make sense. One, you know, there's a reason why there's human milk. We shouldn't be drinking cow's milk. But um, yes, conventionally raised cows are given a lot of, um, you know, hormones and chemicals and feeds that have pesticides in it. And, and um, all of this um, is, you know, part of the formula in cow's milk that is fed to children and babies. Dairy milk is um, inflammatory and um, stimulates certain hormones in the body that's very unhealthy, um, leading to childhood obesity. And there's links to um, milk, possibly, and cancer, especially milk that's conventionally produced. And, and milk is also acidifying in the body. So, so this kind of pro-inflammatory, pro-acidifying um, outcome of drinking dairy results in more disease states instead of um, kind of allowing our body to heal itself, it's, it's interfering. In and addition, may- cow's milk has um, lactose, which we're not meant to digest. And you know, 70% of the world's population has no um, enzyme, lactase enzyme to digest it. So most people in the world are lactose intolerant. By design, we're not supposed to um, be digesting cow's milk and the people that can digest it, it's actually a genetic um, aberration. It's not like the norm. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. You mentioned disease states. So with your education degrees in whole plant-based nutrition, like what types of diseases are shown to improve with a more um, whole-based plant diet? Literally just about everything. (laughs) But um, cancers are are often sprung from... um, having the, the body in a, a state that's kind of a disease promoting state um, that enhances the development, the initiation of cancer cells, the growth of tumors. Whereas, you know, eating a healthy diet does the opposite. It prevents cells from becoming cancerous. It slows down the, um, the, the growth of tumor cells by blocking the blood vessels that feed the tumors and certain um, plant-based foods actually cause apoptosis, which is cancer cell suicide, where they die off on their own and, um, and also preventing metastases. So it prevents cancer in many ways. Um, a whole food plant-based diet prevents cardiovascular disease by um, preventing plaque from building up in the arteries, which can lead to heart attacks and stroke. And then anything where you have plaque built up in blood vessels. So anywhere that blood vessel goes, there's going to be a problem. So for example, erectile dysfunction, which is becoming more and more common in middle-aged men is caused from a vascular disease and the um, blood vessels that go to the penis, but also kidney disease from the blood vessels that go to the kidney, Alzheimer's disease from the blood vessels that go to the brain. Like this is, these are all vascular diseases caused by abnormal buildup in the endothelium, which is the lining of, of the um, arteries. Autoimmune diseases mm. are huge and related to um, a pro-inflammatory state and obesity itself is an inflammatory state. Yes. And I think mm-hmm. that's an important part to point out. Uh, many people that I work with in my Ayurvedic health coaching, they don't realize that yes, overweight and obesity is chronic inflammation. I'd love for you to speak just a little bit more on that because I know there is probably almost every disease under the sun that's affected by a poor or what I call low vibrational diet. Mm -hmm. But maybe just draw a little bit of awareness since you 
um, are board certified, I notice, and have worked specifically with individuals with obesity. How does that affect like nutrition and the chronic inflammation of being overweight? Yeah, it's really fascinating and way more complicated than I ever realized until I got my board certification in obesity medicine. Um, there's connections between the fat cells themselves, which I think is fascinating. I always thought of a fat cell as just like what you see like in chicken, <laughs> like this yellow fat that's just like this inert blob, but it's actually very metab metabolically active. And each adipocyte, which is the name of a fat cell, secretes something called adipokines. There are these um, biologically active molecules that affect your body and infect other cells. And there's hundreds of them that are produced by every single fat cell. And so it's, it's live metabolically active tissue. So I just think like that fact alone was kind of mind blowing for me. The other thing about um, obesity that is um, huge is the gut biome. It's like one of my favorite topics, but when people are, are obese, they tend to have a certain gut biome, certain kinds of bacteria in their gut that are bad. They're like not good, or they're not favorable for health. And, and people who have, are at a healthier weight tend to have this kind of good, I hate calling, you know, good and bad, like qualifying it, but, um, the good bacteria and many more kinds, like a huge diversity of bacteria and, and many more of them. And this results when you have this kind of good bacteria in your gut, it results in um, a way more um, healthy and active, active in a good way, immune system. It, it, and it results in um, this really nice, healthy lining of the gut that, uh, that kind of um, prevents too much permeability, which some people call um, leaky gut. So it, it it's a nice, like healthy barrier. And it changes the, this gut bacteria they produce when you when you eat um, this some this whole thing called small chain fatty acids like butyrate and um, and these these molecules that people are like heavily studying right now affect like your satiety, like how full you feel, how much, um, how much fat is deposited in your cells after you eat a meal, um, the energy you feel. And, and then in turn, all these things to make it like comp more complicated inter interact with the um, neurotransmitters in your brain, which also communicate back and forth. It, it's, it's just way more complicated than energy in equals energy out. Like if you eat X number of calories and you burn this number of calories, you should be good. Like it's not, it's not that simple. <laughs> That's so fascinating. And now that, you know, we're talking about the gut biome and the brain connection, I'd love to hear more about that because I think, you know, especially in our culture, there's, you know, depression, anxiety are, you know, very prevalent. And so how, how might that affect someone's mood and mental health? Yeah, I don't know a ton. But I do know that um, there is data that eating a whole food plant-based diet um, improves mood and a lot of mental, mental health um, conditions. We need more research in that area for sure. There aren't a lot of great longitudinal studies looking at that, but um, I feel like when someone presents with depression or anxiety, the first, very first thing we should do is look at diet and say, you know, are you feeding yourself? 
healthy, nourishing foods that are going to optimize your, um, your gut biome and thus affect neurotransmitters, serotonin levels, and, you know, everything that affects mood. So yeah, it is, it's all like related. You can't just take one part of the body and isolate it. It's, it's this, you know, magical, complicated system. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, we are whole beings, right? And so we can't separate one part from the other. And so nutrition is a really big part. And I'm wondering, you know, just in regards to the gut biome, because that is a big factor. Um, are there things that people can do to help support their gut biome as they're beginning to transition into a healthier lifestyle? Sure. Um, there is a um, gut biome food pyramid that I share with um, in our classes that we teach. And it's um, very similar to just a whole food plant-based kind of pyramid or power plate or whatever different um, tool that, that someone is using to like educate on, on a balanced whole food plant-based diet. But it's basically lots of fruits and vegetables um, leafy greens specifically and cruciferous vegetables and lots of berries because they're super high in antioxidants and phytonutrients and then whole grains and legumes and plant-based protein. But then in addition, eating fermented foods and a variety of different kinds of fermented foods can really help diversify the gut bacteria. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I'm very familiar with uh, digestive issues I was diagnosed with actually multiple autoimmune conditions and pretty much my whole digestive tract. So I self-educated and, and read a lot. Um, my question to you is, um, part for my own personal curiosity, but you mentioned like leaky gut, and I think more people have that than what they might realize. Um, just symptoms can vary quite a bit from having inflammation in our gut biome. And I am definitely all for, you know, a very plant strong nutritional program. And also one of the struggles for me and actually some of the women that I work with is like their digestive fire is so weak and the leaky gut is so inflamed that it's really difficult for them to digest raw foods. It's almost like too much. Um, even yes, like I love cruciferous vegetables and legumes, but you know, for me, there's sort of a a limit to how much um, my digestive strength can take just because of the the high amounts of fiber and just the it takes energy to break down those foods. So for someone who is struggling already with some type of whether it's leaky gut or chronic inflammation and they're not really able to take on such a strong plant-based diet, what what would be some recommendations to kind of like wean somebody in? Great question. I mean, I think, you know, although this is a great way of eating when you're not used to eating this way, it can be traumatic even to yeah. your system and also um, incredibly detoxifying. And sometimes the, the effects of the detoxifying phase of starting a diet like this can deter people from continuing. Yes. I, I would recommend listening to your body and really paying attention to what foods feel right and are okay and which ones are not. And I think some like for legumes, for example, I think it's really important in the beginning, especially to soak them and rinse oh, yeah. them and try to get that polysaccharide coating off that's less digestible 
the smaller beans are more digestible than the bigger beans. So I always recommend starting with lentils and smaller quantities, like even just a tablespoon at a time, if you're, if your body's not used to it and then working up. Yeah. Would um, you say that's true of like fermented foods as well? Um, like, like initially? Yeah, can... I, I'm not really sure, um, to be honest, but it kind of makes sense to um, start anything kind of small. And even with fermented foods, they have quite a lot of bacteria in them. Like, so even just a spoonful of sauerkraut is enough to have in a day to kind of add, a, you know, millions of bacteria to your gut. So it's not like you have to have a cup of sauerkraut because I would probably have an adverse reaction to that much. <laughs> yeah, I think just remembering that more isn't necessarily better, especially in our culture right. where we think, exactly. oh, I have to have a lot of this so I get the instant <laughs> fix. And I'm like, no, it doesn't really work like that. In fact, sometimes that kind of backfires. <laughs> yeah, same with like whole grains. Like I remember one time um, I was up in Portland, Maine on a rotation and I went to this bakery and they had all these whole grain breads that I had never seen where I was in Worcester. And, and I remember buying this bread that was homemade and I got the worst GI distress from, I think I probably ate half a loaf, you know, like instead of just having like a little bit, but that was the first time, like I had ever had a reaction to like fiber and I probably, you know, I probably wasn't eating that healthy, but same thing with whole grains. You have to kind of go easy and listen to your body. And if you have you know, autoimmune diseases, you know, maybe gluten is you're going to be more sensitive to, and some people can digest gluten just fine. We have people avoid refined grains, but I know for some people that are eating like low FODMAP diets and, you know, that maybe um, refined grains are more digestible. So, you know, you, sometimes you do need to lead up to it. And so, yeah, you, so talking about gluten, and this is a, a big thing, it's, you know, maybe been the talk and, and some people see it as a fad and, you know, but there's a real reaction to gluten. Why is gluten so um, talked about right now? Is, um, can you speak to that at all? Sure. You know, I can digest gluten fine. So I can't speak like from personal experience, but I have a theory that, you know, the way we do in America, we destroy so many things. We've like over, you know, refined wheat. And we have this like super refined product that literally we're feeding kids breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks. So they're getting this crappy refined flour mixed with unhealthy, crappy um, oils and, and refined sugars, right? And they're getting pancakes with corn syrup for breakfast. This is like when this pediatric clinic I just worked in, I would do these diet recalls all day. They would literally have zero fiber at the end of the day. They'd eat like these, you know, frozen pancakes or waffles with corn syrup and like juice for breakfast. And then for lunch, they'd have like pizza with some carcinogenic pepperoni on it. And, you know, laden with cheese and oil, um, snacks like, you know, little Debbie's and Doritos and, um, you know, packaged food that's like super uber ultra processed with dyes and chemicals and refined flours and sugar and salt. And then for dinner, you know, chicken nuggets and French fries and, and, and that would be like the whole day. So when you're fed, you know, this refined sugar, breakfast, lunch and dinner and snacks, I think you know, your body rejects it. 
and I think develops antibodies. And so this is like a theory. This is not the Dr. Sandy speaking. (laughs) (laughs) This is my theory on, on where this gluten sensitivity came from. Um, so that, and, and it, I think it's important to distinguish between a true gluten allergy with celiac disease and antibody production and people who are sensitive um, and intolerant of gluten, which may have a different physiological mechanism. And some of it, we just don't know. Like there's studies with like autistic kids, for example, that wouldn't necessarily test allergic to gluten, but clinically when they eliminate gluten and dairy from these um, kids' diets, they they do better behaviorally. Um, so there's a lot we don't know. And eliminating gluten really has no downside if anyone ever wants to try it as a potential, like when we do di- um, elimination diets to try to figure out what's causing, you know, X, Y, whatever it is, if you're looking for GI distress or mood disorders or, you know, whatever you're trying, like aches and pains, and you want to know, is it something dietary? A great way to try to get to the bottom of it is to pare your diet down to some, to like the barest minimum and eliminate things that tend to be more um, aggravating and inflammatory. So like I would cut out all meat, dairy, eggs, cheese, processed foods, and gluten and nuts and, you know, and really get down to like, and sometimes even, um, you know, whole grains, like, cause sometimes you want to just go, go as simple as possible. And then you slowly add in one thing at a time each week to see what's the offending food. So I'm curious too. I love that because, you know, we are, elim- when we eliminate basically the crap, right. From our diets, we can really tell and we can clean our system. But for someone listening who might be, there might be a little bit of a hesitation to removing all these things and it might feel overwhelming. You know, what are some things that they can add in and can you talk about, you know, what is available and the benefits of like the benefits of plants and really choosing the plants and the variety of that. Yeah. Like when we talk about like a balanced whole, whole food plant-based diet, we're talking about, you know, roughly it's just rough, you know, like a quarter of what you eat is fruits, a quarter vegetables, a quarter is some plant-based protein and a quarter is some kind of whole grains. And usually if you eat a meal in that combination, you're going to get all the nutrients you need, all the protein you need. Um, And for healthy fats, we recommend, you know, everything in their whole form. So nuts, seeds, olives, avocados, and avoiding processed oils, sugars, refined flours. So if you were doing an elimination diet, I would recommend, you know, picking vegetables that you know you're you're okay with and some of those are like green beans like hardly anyone has a problem you know digesting green beans for example or um corn can be a problem so we usually eliminate that in the beginning and sometimes people can get really gassy from cruciferous vegetables so i would start with things like um to keep in the diet like um zucchini squash potatoes, sweet potatoes, rice tends to be not very allergenic. And then I'm not sure, because if you want to like stay away from the beans, that's like a whole nother thing. But usually I include beans as a, you know, like lentils and then slowly adding in things. (laughs) Yeah. I know sometimes just mentally 
getting around the idea of, oh, these are the things I can't have. And, and that creates almost like a rebellious spirit a little bit. At least I've noticed that when some of, of my uh, coaching clients come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, that just seems so overwhelming. And I'm like, how about we focus on the things that we can eat? Yeah. And, and I also say, realize it doesn't have to be an all or nothing because we do have to live our lives and not all of us can afford having our nutritional and the time. I mean, honestly, the time it takes to prepare and cook the foods and just getting around the logistics of that can be really emotionally overwhelming. So I always think that just taking things in in smaller, I guess, smaller goals, as opposed to looking at, oh, this is what I can't have, because mm-hmm. then that can just create mm-hmm. this restrictive, like, oh, I don't want to do this because it's all the the negativity behind it. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a much more positive way. We always end every class with that quote that, you know, people resist change because of, you know, what they're, they're not, they're thinking about, they're not going to be able to have. But I just want to point out like the, the, this elimination diet, this is not what I do in my classes. This is what, this is an extreme thing. So this is someone who's really suffering from some entity and they want to know if diet is the cause this is like a scientific way to approach it. And it is restrictive, but it's really when they're, they're suffering from their condition and they really want to get to the bottom of what dietary thing is causing it. This is the best way to go about it. But when we're talking about health in general, I don't like to think of it as restrictive at all. I think, you know, most Americans are not eating a huge variety of fruits and vegetables. They, they tend true. to gravitate toward the same vegetable that they like, or this apple a day. And Really, I'm talking about, let's expand that, you know, pick fruits and vegetables you've never had before. Go to the produce department and, you know, pick that leafy green you've never had because that, you know, that's what's so great for your body. Every, all these different fruits and vegetables provide a rainbow of phytonutrients for us to yeah. enjoy. Now, I, I love that to be more exploratory with what we are eating. And I get there's a comfort level in knowing the foods that we like and eating those. And it, it so much helps our, our gut microbiome to have a variety of species mm-hmm. um, that we introduce rather than just the same ones. I really enjoy that. I'm going to circle back a little bit to kids because I have two daughters and just being a mom, variety can be tough with kids. Like I've got a picky eater and I've got one that I eat so fast. I mean, she'll eat pretty much anything, but eat so fast. Hmm. Um, I think part of that is the 10 minute lunch break they get at school. So she's just (laughs) learned to like literally inhale food. And that's a very common theme for kids. And I think we could have a whole conversation on what they serve at the schools at lunch. So I won't really get into that, but just in terms of having kids be more exploratory, with their food choices rather than what they see, you know, the processed grains that you mentioned before with the corn syrup and the juice and all the things. Uh, What are some ways that as a parent that you can introduce kids into just a different mindset around plant-based foods? Yeah. I mean, I have a few suggestions. One is um, go grocery shopping together. And just kind of have a family rule that we're going to try something new each week and, and let your child pick it out, have them look and say, what, you know, what do you want to try? Let's, we're going to do this fun experiment, you know, and go 
pick out some green that maybe you've never had either and, and just be open and willing to try new things. And when you do cook new things, it takes, um, I forget the statistics. I think it's something like seven times before someone actually says, oh, you know, it, it might take that long before the child says, oh, I like it. So they call it a no thank you bite. You know, you're going to try it and agree to it and then say, no, thank you. But, but at least they try it. And, and that's just a requirement. And then at, eventually they might take two bites and be like, oh, hmm, that's not so bad. <laughs> so I think that's important if it's just part of the culture in your family that they're part of picking out foods and also part of food preparation, they're going to be much more likely to eat it. There was this incredible study done by a nutritionist at a school where they took like two different classrooms or like they divided the school in half and half the school, they picked a, a new food that the kids weren't used to eating each week. It was a Southern school and they integrated it into the curriculum. So for example, lentils, they chose one week. And they used lentils to count and divide with the little kids, you know, the dried lentils playing with them. They used them in art class to make pictures out of lentils. And um, they used it to talk about geography, where lentils came from. And, um, you know, so just a little here and there, they put this lentil education and then, you know, the nutritional benefits of lentils and then different recipes with lentils. And, and then at the end of the week, they served lentils for lunch on Friday, and then they measured how many kids would try the lentils. And so the, you know, the group that learned about them all week, they all wanted to try them. And the group that got no education, but were served lentils, they wanted no part of them like usual. And then they did like, it was a five-week thing where they did a different, I forget what it was, but a different food each week, just kind of proving that if if children learn about a food and are curious and know where it comes from and they've touched it and have played with it, then they're, they're going to want to eat it. <laughs> I just love that study. I love that. And it's really just a beautiful depiction of why it's so important to get our children involved, include them in the decision making, include them in the preparation and the shopping and, and all of that to really engage their their curiosity. It's beautiful. I'm wondering, yeah, you know, what's your vision around changing maybe the dynamics of our culture around food and, and where we can really start to begin shifting consciousness on this planet. Starting with the children is a beautiful and much needed thing. And, and so where do you see that in your vision? Where do you see that going? And what's your vision for the bigger scope of the world and changing and raising that consciousness? Before I get to that, you just reminded me of something. I just wanted to go back um, and add when children are breastfed and the mom eats a variety of foods, it actually changes um, the child's willingness to try new foods because breast milk changes depending on what the mom is eating. It's a constantly um, being produced and changed. And um, so that child will acquire all these interesting tastes that the mother has curry or, you know, like spicy things or, you know, the, it, it changes. Whereas if you always have formula, it's one flavor. That, that is an interesting um, phenomenon. And then the other thing is very early on when um, with first food introduction between six and 12 months to have a variety of food introduced and between one and two, like that's the time to be giving all different kinds of fruits and vegetables and beans and um, 
avocado and and the first bread they have should be whole wheat bread or or you know whole grain bread not like white because as soon as you stick a french fry in a one-year-old's mouth of course they're going to want french fries for the rest of their life <laughs> and if they're always dipping it in you know corn syrup ketchup that you know they just acquire a taste for that and that mm -hmm. and then it kind of ruins then sweet potatoes are suddenly not sweet <laughs> Because mm. sweet is now redefined by this, you know, high fructose corn syrup. Anyway, back to your question. Can you summarize it about the consciousness? And Yes, absolutely. And I, I love that too. I mean, that's such a um, very interesting phenomenon about the, you know, breast milk and, and why that's so important. You know, it makes me think and, and maybe you can answer this too. You know, what if the mother isn't, she might be breastfeeding, but she's not eating a nutritious diet, like what are the consequences there? Mm. It's interesting because even when the mother's not eating a great diet, the quality and the nutritional content of the breast milk is pretty well preserved, which is mm. interesting. It's probably better, of course, if the mom's eating, you know, kale and nutrient dense vegetables and fruits. Um, but even if the mom's eating, you know, not a great diet, it it's still beneficial, more beneficial to have the breast milk over the formula. Hmm. Always breast is best, right? Yep. <laughs> um, with few um, exceptions. There, there are exceptions, but for right. the most part, yeah. For the most part, yeah. Well, thank you for that clarification. And so, yeah, just bringing it back to the, the question I was asking before is, you know, what is your vision? What is the macro vision that you have for this lifestyle? I like to call it a lifestyle too, yeah, is, you know, yeah. versus like a diet because it's really embodying that rather than because we're we've got such this mentality around diets and it can be a very negative thing for people and just going on another diet. But what what do you see as the vision for the outer perspective for raising consciousness on this planet and how do you feel like this can begin to shape our world if we you know began to really look at the consciousness of what we're eating and changing our our lifestyle yeah thank you i i love that you pointed out lifestyle versus diet. I have a lot of people that come to me that are struggling with weight and they've kind of been demonized and villainized and been told they need to be on diets and they've gone on and off of them and they've gained and lost weight and none of it works, quote unquote. And what we present and teach is not a diet. It's like how to choose healthy foods, how to choose foods that have gifts and are nutrient dense and make your cells work better and losing weight is not the goal. It's a side effect, you know? So instead of like, oh, this is some weight loss program that I'm running. No, we're running a, you know, kind of get healthy program. And then yes, you're going to lose weight because that's just what happens when you eat really healthy. When you eat an anti-inflammatory nutrient rich diet, you just get healthy. It's a side effect. So anyway, yeah, it's a lifestyle. It's kind of teaching people to choose healthy as opposed to I can't have that it's like I don't think I want to choose that for my body mm -hmm. I, you know I've been kind of immersed in this whole plant food world and one it just I feel like concurrently there seems to be this movement that I'm I'm feeling this energy that it's not just me and what I've been trying to teach for for decades but 
there's a movement where people are interested in this more than I've ever seen before. A couple of years ago, Plant City opened in Providence, which is a vegan food hall and marketplace with four different vegan restaurants. And so I feel very fortunate to live in this city where there's kind of this awakening and awareness about eating plants. And, you know, they're also super conscious about the environment and everything's compostable and they're not using any palm oils in any of their cooking. And, but like all across the globe, I feel like there is this kind of plant-based movement happening for a variety of reasons. And what I think is so beautiful is that the three different big reasons that I see why people choose to eat more plant-based um, are all kind of in alignment with making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And those are what I'm focusing on as far as the health of the human being and people teaching people to be more mindful of what they're putting in their bodies, treating their body as a temple and nourishing it with the you know most healthful foods and avoiding foods that are actually harming them. I think that's a beautiful thing. And then secondly, I see a lot of young people, especially like at Plant City, it's a very hip place to go. And I see a lot of young college students there and they're very interested in the carbon footprint and making choices that are better for the earth. Choosing to eat plants over animals is great for, you know, the ozone layer, <clears throat> water production, land use. There's just so many levels in which eating plants is better for um, the earth than um, eating meat. And then the third reason, more about um you know, the welfare of the animals that we share our planet with. And people like in the vegan philosophy of not wanting to eat or wear, um, you know, anything that is related to animals. It's about respect for the animals on the planet, especially with the farm factory raised cows and chickens in America um, and the way we treat female cows and their babies and the whole milking industry. It's, it's horrible. So I just think it's beautiful that kind of all three of those things, like good for the earth, good for the animals and good for the human body. It's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the same Thank you. Thank you so much for, I mean, all of your insights. And I hope this encourages many of our listeners to uh, really focus on the energy of the food and that food is medicine and it impacts not only ourselves, but the planet um, and the welfare of all living beings. And so as we, as we wrap up, could you please tell our listeners where they can find you and what you're currently working on? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So my company is a nonprofit. It's called Plant Docs and our website is plantdocspvd.com. PVD is short for Providence. <laughs> and that's also the handle for our um, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube channel. I post videos on how to cook simple things. They're definitely not professional, but they're like Dr. Sandy um, making healthy food. I do three different things, but our biggest thing is called Jumpstart Your Health. It's a month-long program where we do labs um, before and after blood pressure, weight, and BMIs. And we show that in a very short time, so it's kind of like an experiment or a test, or it's an opportunity to give it a try. What would it be like if I ate whole food plant-based for one month? What would that be like? And during that time, people feel this dramatic change in their body. And for people that really need to see the proof, we have the labs after the month and it's really remarkable. I'm about to publish it, but 
What's statistically significant is the drop in the LDL cholesterol, the triglycerides, um, the total cholesterol, and then the inflammatory marker, um, which is high sensitivity CRP, C-reactive protein. But we're also reversing fatty liver disease and reversing diabetes. So that's our main program. And I also offer private one-on-one -on -one consultations um, remotely over Zoom. And the third thing I do is I have a monthly cooking class. It's about global cuisine. So every month we're going to do a different um, cuisine with visiting doctors. So I have, for example, I have an Indian doctor friend who's going to teach like a healthy versions of some typical Indian dishes. And I'm also going to include the blue zones of the world. So mm -hmm. cooking from Okinawa, Japan, and Nick, the Nicoya Peninsula and Costa Rica, et cetera. So mm -hmm. I'm excited about all that. And it's all on my website, plantdocspbd.com. And we will absolutely add that to the show notes so people can easily find you. Thank so, you. Well, Sandy, it's been so great having you here and a pleasure talking with you and learning from you. And I just, it's so fun to follow your journey as you've been evolving and, and thank you so much for the beautiful work that you do in the world. Thank you, and, Stacey. And thank you, Brenda. It's really nice to meet you. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to Be The Love Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to our show, please share the love by sharing it with your friends, giving us a five-star written review on iTunes, and please consider supporting our mission to awaken our souls with special guest interviews and speak the love conscious conversations with your co-hosts, myself and Brenda. A monthly donation of $2.22 or $5.55 really helps us with the operating costs of this podcast so we can continue to spread the love. To contribute, please visit our page Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash be the love podcast and stay tuned for more episodes being released on Mondays and Thursdays at 5:55 a.m. Mountain Time. Thank you, Heather Lynn, for providing us with your beautiful song to accompany our show, Be the Love. If you would like to learn more about Heather Lynn and her music, please visit her website at heatherlynnmusic.com. And thank you, Christy Grace at Leading Edge Productions for the beautiful design and graphic. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time, we are souls on the journey to align to our divine purpose and shine our lights. So keep on shining.